community solar, it's taking solar to the next level where it really should be accessible to the masses, if you will. So if community solar doesn't get everybody excited about solar, I mean, I don't know what will. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. And I'm your co-host, Suzanne Waters. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have my co-host, Suzanne Water. She's the Vice President of Business Development at Renew Energy. And it's been, what, now six months, Suzanne? It's crazy. It's been a half a year since you started in September, right? Otherwise, I know. And then the first podcast interview was back in October or November. I think it was October, actually, yeah. Yeah, beginning of October when you just started. It would be great if you could talk about what you do for Renew Energy and if people didn't listen to your podcast, like which episode you're in. Sure. It was episode six of the podcast. So anyone that hasn't listened, tune in to that one. It was a great, <laughs> a great listen. <laughs> and it's about Suzanne's story being in the solar industry and her passion for solar. So it's a great episode, episode six. It was actually our most downloaded episode until last week. Now, actually, the episode with Jim Spano is actually our most downloaded episode. And then it's the second most downloaded episode, which is pretty impressive. And basically, the three most popular podcasts was the one with Jim Spano. The second one was you, which you're not that far behind. And then actually the one about strategies to acquire commercial industrial solar customers by Alex Rivera from Vanguard Energy Partners. And then the intro to the podcast, the Solar Maverick podcast with Lee and I, and then actually Secrets of the Solar Market in Latin America was number five. And then right behind that is the marriage of roofing and solar with Daryl from Standard Solar and Bob Burwasser from Carlisle. That was actually a great episode. I found that very interesting that the marriage, the roofing, they said a lot of great things. And I'm not a roofer by any means, but I found that very informative. Yeah. Interesting concepts too. Definitely. And if you could talk about too, about what you do at Renew Energy and talk about maybe briefly some of the different things that you're working on. That would be great. Sure. As Benoit said, I'm the Vice President of Business Development here at Renew Energy. So I'm focusing on sales, developing relationships with landowners, building owners, doing a lot of our SREC management right now. I'm managing over 10 megawatts, our portfolio of over 10 megawatts. I've been doing proposal writing. I actually just got done working on a high-level financial and technical feasibility report for a major sports franchise to put solar on their practice facility. So that was a pretty cool project to be working on. That's pretty comprehensive. There's a lot of other things. I know we're also looking at solar plus storage. This podcast is basically about Community Solar 101. Just to give you guys a brief background of Renew Energy, we're a solar consulting firm, and we also develop projects. We started out in SREX, and we've managed over $28 million in SREX transactions. As Sue mentioned, we also manage the SREX for different facilities and it's about 11 megawatts where we basically manage like the operational aspects of taking the generation and putting into GATS and minting it to an SREC. We also source financing for projects. We do a lot of other things, financial modeling, research. We are also helping source financing for projects. And then we also develop our own projects. As Suzanne mentioned, she's focused on building relationships with commercial industrial building owners, land opportunities as well. We actually won an engagement, uh, Renew Energy did, with two of our partners, Kinetic Communities and Lucid Training, to develop 1.3 megawatt community solar for NYCHA in Manhattan and Brooklyn. That's pretty much a brief description of Renew Energy. 
we appreciate the support for the podcast. It's only been since the middle of November. At this point, we released like 14 episodes, but it's one of the most popular podcasts in solar and all the major platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio. So we really appreciate your support. And we have an international audience as well, which is pretty amazing. Obviously, primarily the podcast listeners are in the US, but we have Canada, Mexico, South America, the Caribbean, Africa, Europe, Asia, and New Zealand and Australia, which is pretty amazing to me. And we appreciate all the people reaching out to us about questions about the podcast, suggestions, also potential guests, anything related to the podcast. If you want to reach out to us, it's info at renewenergy.com, which will be in the notes, R-E-N-E-U energy.com. <laughs> so thank you for all your support. And if you're as well interested in sponsoring the podcast, I know a couple of people have reached out. Feel free again to reach us at info at renewenergy.com. By the way, Suzanne, it was pretty amazing to me on that episode that you did. We got a lot of great feedback about uh, your excitement and passion for the solar industry and your unique story. And I remember, which is pretty interesting, how nervous you were about the podcast and then when it was done, you're ready to do the next one. So I apologize that it's taken so long to do the next one. But what was your thoughts after listening to it on iTunes? I'm sure like for you and I know your family, how was that experience like to finally hear it? It was great. It was a little weird to listen to myself talk for that long. <laughs> it was like a voicemail recording gone too long, but no. It was pretty great. I sounded better than I expected myself to sound, but no, it was cool, especially, like you said, to be a part of something. We have an international audience, all these other episodes, and I was pleasantly surprised to find out that I was the number one downloaded episode until Mr. Spano stole my thunder. So again, anyone that hasn't tuned into episode <laughs> six... <laughs> By the way, you have another contender. Nathan Giovanelli from IGS has Energy, who's a future interview. His episode, by the time this one, you actually hear it, has already come out, has been posting on LinkedIn to I've download his and promoting it. that on LinkedIn, so, yeah. Uh, so definitely, yes, definitely listen to Suzanne's episode. Is there any other interesting tidbits that you have from being on your first podcast? Only that I was, like you said, I was slightly nervous, but here I am back again co-hosting. <laughs> so it obviously was a positive experience. I don't know what else to say about no, that. No, definitely. And I think <laughs> if you have any ideas, you would like Suzanne and I, you know, Suzanne is one of our co-hosts, Lee Wang, who is the director of marketing at Renew Energy is our other co-host. Topics that you would like to discuss, definitely reach out to us at info at renewenergy.com. We have a lot of interesting guests that are coming up soon, which is exciting as well. Graham Smith, who's the CEO of Open Energy. They're uh, effectively like a platform for financing for solar projects. We have Eric Danke, who's the CEO of Power Market, and they do uh, customer acquisition and management for community solar projects. Nate Giovanelli, who's an IGS, we have coming up as well. Lauren Carson, who's the CEO and founder of Connect Solar, which is a solar distributor. We also have John Chaymanis from KSI, Kendall Sustainable Investments. So there's a lot of great interviews that you'll hear before this podcast and a lot of interesting guests coming up. So definitely stay tuned. So this podcast, actually, we're trying to do Community Solar 101. Uh, one of the podcasts with Lee, we actually talked briefly about Community Solar. 
And then actually with Eric from Power Market as well, he talks about it, but we thought it would be great to kind of have a high level sort of discussion about community solar. It's one of the fastest growing sectors of the solar industry. I mentioned as well, like that project that we're developing as part of NYCHA is community solar. So we're getting a really great experience of learning what community solar is all about. So let's get into it. <laughs> I was going to say that, Benoit. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. That's you okay. can say it again. So just going into one of the things we we're going to talk about is 100% renewable energy goals that companies are having and that states are having. And recently, actually, New York Governor Cuomo said that he was going to do 100% renewables. I forget exactly what year, which is... 2045 yeah, or something tw- like that. Yeah, I think it's 2045 because that's what California was doing. And it's exciting. I think what we've seen, though, is the challenges related to coming up with policy that's able to move as quickly as the goals of the state. But it's great to hear that New York, and it's a market that we work in. East Coast is going to (laughs) represent. Yeah, East Coast is going to represent, yes, over the West Coast. It's exciting to kind of see all this East Coast, New Jersey as well. They're talking about potentially get Governor Murphy is talking about 100% renewable energy goals. It's not official yet, but definitely his administration's talking about it. So, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time to be in the solar space. And community solar is definitely an exciting place to be. And basically what community solar does, it allows you to buy solar energy or buy credits through virtual net metering from a solar project within the same load zone. Definitely, it's like an opportunity to provide access to solar that hasn't been there. For people who maybe can't afford to put it on their own roof, don't have the space to put it in there on their property, you know, tree shading, things like that. Or if a renter that's renting an apartment can't actually install solar. Yeah, it's a great... And even low income as well, where you wouldn't have the credit score to get solar installed, you're able to now have access to solar. And a lot of politicians like it because there's a perception that when you have solar that you have to have a certain economic status, but this basically gives opportunity to everyone. So a lot of politicians are pushing that. They're also pushing like a low income component. So what happens is basically solar is produced, then there's these credits that are created. It's not actually a virtual exchange, but you get some sort of net metering credit. And it, it's, and it's structured. a one-for-one credit, isn't it? So in New Jersey, it's going to be a one-for-one credit. But for example, in New York, it's a lot more complicated. They have the value of distributed energy resources, which has all these different components. LMP, which is the locational marginal price. E, which is the environmental commodity, plus T, the market transition credit, plus capacity. There are all these different components, which make it a lot more complicated. But then it's supposed to be close to what the customer is paying for their electricity. And basically, the community solar providers are basically providing some sort of discount to the customer's current electricity rate, which is usually 5 to 10%. And then basically, the customer knows where the solar energy is coming from. And it's interesting, actually, John Manis from Kendall Sustainable Investments, they actually own a portfolio of community solar projects in Vermont. And they were saying that you shouldn't give a discount, that it should be, hey, you're using renewable energy from a solar resource. There should not be any sort of discount to the electricity where people are focused on, we have to give a discount to get a customer interested. But it's interesting, third-party energy suppliers, which basically 
you could buy electricity from them in deregulated markets. Yeah, like the energy auctions. Is that kind of what you're... Not the energy auctions. It's like, well, I guess it's kind of like the energy auctions where a residential customer could choose... The reverse energy auctions, I guess I should call it, Oh, well, right? yeah, it's usually a reverse energy auction or you get like a letter from a third-party energy supplier. And like, for, for example, time, actually. you go through PSENG, but then you could select a third-party supplier to basically provide renewable energy. And usually it's actually more expensive. So his point is like, why, instead of having the same price, why are we giving discounts when third-party energy suppliers are using basically, usually it's like RECs to basically say that the energy is renewable. And we could go into a whole other topic related to that. So it gives an opportunity for people to buy renewable energy at some sort of discount or the same price. New Jersey, as you mentioned, actually has a pilot that basically starts in 2019 this year to 2021 to basically have solar. It's basically 75 megawatts per year for three years. And the application is actually coming out in March. So we're seeing a lot of people aggressively trying to develop in New Jersey for community solar projects. And you were talking about reserving a sector of it for low to moderate income. If I'm not reading correctly, New Jersey, they're going to reserve 40% of that for... Yes, I think it's either 30 or 40%. It was a big percentage. It's a big, big percentage. So it actually makes it challenging from a financing perspective. Actually, this goes into a whole other discussion. Basically, how projects have been in finance in the past is people are comfortable with when you talk about behind the meter or even utility scale, some sort of long-term contracting. So you usually prefer, financiers prefer like a 20-year PPA. Or if it's a corporate PPA, sometimes it's between 10 to 15 years. Investors don't like their cash flows are merchant, basically. So what's been the challenge, actually, with community solar is to find financing parties that are comfortable with the lesser tenor of, of a contract. Well, because in some of the things, that's what I was going to say, I don't think we touched sure. on that. I think some of the, what I had been reading, it's like a subscription, but there's no contract. So it's kind of like if you were going to move out of your services territory, so you had to no longer be purchasing the community solar, there's like, okay, so you moved and that's it. And then it just opens up for the next person on the waiting list. That's the kind of the beauty of it. There is no contract. There is no contract. Well, the beauty of it for the consumer, for I the guess. consumer, <laughs> which has <laughs> been challenging actually to get financiers comfortable with that. You know, we found a few financiers who potentially are interested in that. You know, the challenges in like deregulated markets where you could get these contracts with third-party suppliers is the most it'll be is no obligation six months to a year to three years at the maximum. So we're seeing the customers are requiring that they don't want commitment, they don't want to pay termination fees, which has then made it extremely challenging to get these projects financed. It's interesting because the NYCHA project that we're working on, NYCHA is requiring a certain component to be low-income housing. And then so we're actually talking to the New York Green Bank about how to structure it to potentially make it financeable for financing parties to be comfortable with it. But we have found some financing parties that are comfortable with residential customers because even though electricity rates have been historically low for a very long time, it's still higher residential rate than like a commercial industrial rate or utility scale if you're selling directly into the grid. And then people are assuming that electricity prices aren't going to go down they're probably going to stay at a certain level. It's pretty interesting 
how that's all going to be in structure. The other big thing, too, that no one talks about is for low-income customers. What is low-income? How do you define low-income? For example, in New York, a household that makes less than 95, New York City, Manhattan specifically, if a customer makes below 95000 a household, they're considered low-income. In other parts of the country... That's not the case. Obviously, Manhattan and the five boroughs have a higher cost of living. So it also depends how you define it. And every state's unique as far as their community solar program. There are other states that have it. We talked about Vermont, that Kendall Sustainable Investments own it. Massachusetts has a program, Minnesota, Colorado. Minnesota is different as well because they take very large off-takers and they don't have these sorts of requirements. They actually have now to get more residential customers, they've had an adder, basically, to yeah, incentivize it. They call them solar gardens out there, don't they? Yeah, there's also, you know, different names as well. Community solar gardens, community solar. There's actually two different structures. There's actually a structure that we're talking about is like a subscription model. That's right, right. But there's actually also an ownership, ownership model. model yeah. Basically, it's usually like an accredited investor. So basically, for SEC purposes, you have that. I think you have to have sort of income per year out of, I think it's like 250000 minimum. And then basically the minimum investment is 100000 And then you have all these legal costs because it's almost like a public offering. So companies have stayed away. And basically, like the owner of that project in that service territory, let's say they own a certain amount of shares, those three panels... You right, know, that's what I was going to say. Just to clarify, right, you can kind of own some of the panels that make up the array. So, right, it's like owning stock in the actual community solar system. Yeah, and there's also some way of leasing it as well. But that structure is not as popular. The most popular structure is really like the subscription-based model where you basically less have... Less risk to the consumer. Yeah, and it's easier to structure and less expensive where you have like a utility-scale solar project and then basically people purchase the offtake, but also it could be on roofs as well. We're actually looking at a lot of flat roofs at warehouses in New York and New Jersey to do community solar, where you basically provide a lease payment to the rooftop owner and then basically own the project on the roof. Or even we've talked of options as well to owners of buildings where they could own the project. But usually what we find is like a commercial industrial building owner doesn't really want to get involved in that and the complexity of all the different incentives. And then acquiring and managing the customer is pretty complicated. So they prefer like a lease payment that you get basically for using their roof for community solar. And then what we're seeing is like there are a lot of companies, uh, startups and a lot of new companies that have entered the market that basically provide customer acquisition and management for community solar. And what we've seen is over time, like those costs are going down and Actually, this episode will come out already with Eric, who's the CEO of Power Market, and that's what they do. And we're actually hopefully getting an investor in community solar projects that's comfortable with sort of not having a long-term contract for the energy and having 100% residential. Because the reason why community solar is very attractive to owners and developers of solar projects is that you're building a utility-scale project at utility-scale costs, but then you're getting an off-taker that's residential, which is a lot higher, as I mentioned before, than a utility-scale project where you're selling at the grid. Just to give you an example, selling wholesale in New Jersey, for example, in PSE&G, 
is like between four to five cents if you sold it into the grid. But if you sell it to a residential PSCNG customer, it's maybe between 10 to 13 cents or 10 to 14, maybe even higher. So as you could see, like the electricity rate is a lot higher. So the potential returns of the project are a lot higher. The challenging thing though to acquire customers and manage customers, since it's relatively new, is pretty expensive. And it's interesting, these companies that are acquiring and managing customers are trying to use the internet and search engine optimization and email marketing and different ways to get customers just to buy energy online. But customers right now are hesitant to, but I think in the future, it's just going to be a normal thing where people are going to procure residential energy online. So, and as you talked about, these reverse auctions are online as well. So let's talk a little bit about the growth and the potential of community solar. Definitely. I'm just going to read some information from SIA actually. 1,294 megawatts of community solar have already been installed throughout the United States as of the third quarter of last year. The next several years, we'll see the U.S. community solar market add as much as three gigawatts. Another interesting fact, a single megawatt of solar powers 164 homes, so three gigawatts, will be able to power almost half of a million. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That really shows you the growth. And a lot of states are having community solar legislation. We forgot to mention like Maryland has a pilot program as well. This episode is really an intro to community solar. And I know, Suzanne, you wanted to talk about virtual net metering, but you need virtual net metering to have community yes, solar I programs like in the state. important, like major concept Definitely. behind um, community solar. So again, just reading some stuff from Sia. Virtual net metering, it's actually what allows a household or a business, let's say, to receive the net metering credits associated with a renewable energy project that they don't actually share an electricity meter. So again, like we were saying, you don't actually have to own the project to get the billing credits. The credits are worth as much or close to as much of what they would pay for electricity from their local utility. For example, every kilowatt hour of electricity generated by the community solar farm, it would effectively reduce the participant's power bill, like we were saying, typically on a one-to-one basis. For example, if your share in the plant or if your subscription to the community solar project produced five kilowatt hours of electricity on a given day, that's how much you would receive in the solar net metering credits on your power bill. So that's pretty substantial. I was sharing with you earlier my Oh my God, my electricity oh, bill yeah. month, and it was ridiculous. So yeah, reading about this yesterday, I'm excited that New Jersey's doing this because I can't wait to get on that. Definitely, list. and we're working with landowners to develop community solar projects in New Jersey. And if you have projects or if you need developers need help with financing of community solar, please feel, feel free, free to reach, yeah, out, reach out, to us. out to me or us. Or me. <laughs> I don't think I've given my email address out publicly yet. Yes. So you guys can email me at Suzanne at RenewEnergy.com. That's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E at Renew, R-E-N-E-U, Energy.com. Yeah, definitely. So feel free to reach out to Suzanne about any opportunities as far as financing. If you have solar projects that you need financing, if you're a landowner, building owner who is potentially interested in getting a project developed, please reach out to Suzanne and also partners, right, as well. Like I know Suzanne has relationships with roofers as well. And we were going to, we briefly talked about that podcast about solar and roofing, but I know you've talked to roofers about the roofing solution and how solar should be at the forefront of what they're doing as well. Because usually they're just focused on selling the roof. but It's a really 
progressive thing for them to be getting involved with. It's like the next generation of their industry, really. Definitely. And, you know, what happens is a lot of opportunities actually come from roofers because the incentives for solar are so high in certain states that the roofing work makes sense with solar. And, for example, I've seen situations where the customers basically getting the solar and roof funded through a PPA. And it's usually like a discount or the same price or sometimes a little bit higher where it makes economic sense. It depends obviously on the state level incentives and how much they pay for electricity and also obviously how much it costs to to do the roofing aspect of it. So, you know, I know that there are several roofers actually who listen to the podcast and reach out to us about it. So any way that we could help out, we're happy to help. And I obviously Suzanne's given our email and there's also info at Renew Energy com as well. Yeah. Anybody that has any questions about some of the more detailed things or wants more detail about some of the higher level things we're talking about on the podcast, feel free to email us as well because we'll definitely go more in depth or give more of like a basic 101 on concepts that are you might not be as familiar with. That's info at renewenergy.com. We'd be excited to talk about them on the podcast. Yeah. And this is basically like a community solar 101. We didn't want to go into too much detail or specifically about states. I know some of the interviews get very technical and sometimes people asking us to give more information on certain these things. So that's something as well that we're working on. And Suzanne, are you ready to close out your second episode? Yeah, well, what I was, I just <laughs> want to say, I mean, honestly, community solar, it's really, when you think about it, it's taking solar to the next level where it really should be accessible to the masses, if you will. So if community solar doesn't get everybody excited about solar, I mean, I don't know what will. So <laughs> I just wanted to say again, Carpe Solum, seize the sun, everybody. And can you spell that? Because I know it's interesting. So Suzanne was hashtagging it episode on LinkedIn. Of course, I spelled it wrong. And then Juan <laughs> Trulio was saying the whole hashtag around after our Renew Energy holiday party and our solar Maverick launch party, which we appreciate the great attendance and meeting people too that we didn't know who are listening to the podcast. Yeah, that but was a lot of fun. Carpe Solum. It's kind of like the saying Carpe Diem sees the day. Well, Carpe Solum, the same thing, except I'm saying sees the sun. Carpe, C-A-R-P-E, Solem, S-O-L-E-M. So everybody hashtag that to get my attention. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, if you want to see videos of the podcast as well, video cast, let us know. You know, we've been getting a lot of feedback about that too. Good thing it's just the audio tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Suzanne, for another great episode. And I look forward for you to co-host many episodes in the near future and not three or four months. Yes, me too, Benoit. Thank you so much. I look forward to my next episode as well. So carpe solum. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about right now building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can.